Hello everyone. Falcha, welcome to the Incomparable History of Ireland podcast. This show is to share the richness of this ancient island. It's Misha Lauren. I am Lauren, your host on this journey through the stories of this Emerald Isle. I represent the Clan Nagel of Delaware, an Irish society for the education of Irish language, history, and culture. This episode, we move from the mythological cycle to the next cycle, the Ulster Cycle. The Ulster Cycle takes us from the world distinguished by intelligence and magic in the mythological cycle to one of warriors and fighting. This world is one where willpower and fearless action prevails. The cultural hero is now the physical strong young man who pits his neck on the line for honor of his community, his tribe. Some scholars of the 19th and early 20th century, such as Eugene O'Curry and Kuna Mayer, believed that the stories and the characters of the Ulster Cycle were essentially historical. T.F. O'Reilly was inclined to believe the stories were entirely mythical and characters of eumiferized gods, the theory that gods arose out of deifications of historical heroes. And Ernest Winnicott, though, thought the, that the cycles were largely imaginary and contains little genuine myth. But what will you think? The central story of this cycle is the Tanbo Gulling, the cattle raid of Cooley. It is the epic tale where the forces of the four provinces combined under Maeve's leadership, to carry off the great bull of the Ulstermen. The central figure of this cycle is the superhero fighter Kukulin, whose primary role is to defend his people. There are a number of versions of the story of Kukulin's miraculous birth. The one I'm going to tell you is his mother, Jektin, is the sister of Concubar Macnessar, the king of Ulster, and accompanies him and his nobles of Ulster as they hunt a flock of magical birds. As the snow begins to fall, the Ulster men seek shelter in a nearby house. As the host's wife goes into labor, his sister assists in the birth of a baby boy, while a, a mare is giving birth to twin colts outside. The next morning, the Ulster men find themselves at Newgrange. The house and its occupants have disappeared, but the child and the colts remain. Decton, she takes the boy home and begins raising him as her own, but the boy falls ill and dies. The god Lou appears to her and tells her he was their host that night and that he has put his child in her womb, who is to be called Satanta. Shortly after this, she marries a red branch knight who then becomes his father, unknowing to anybody that he's really a demigod. Satanta, who is the nephew of the King Macnessa, is energetic. He's a skilled young boy, educated because he was a warrior class, the red branch knights, the elite warriors who protected Ulster. Satanta hears 
his mother talk about her brother and how he has trained a troop of boys. And he wants so bad to be a part, but his mother told him he was far too young. There was a protocol in place. He had to wait until a warrior, other than his father, came and sponsored him. And that man would put him under his protection and introduce him to the other boys. He had only to be patient and wait. Satanta refused to wait and sneaks away from home and sets off down the road to Iman Maka, where uh, the king lives, and he carries with him his hurley, his ball, and his javelin. So special is Satanta, he came up with a little game to make the time pass. He would throw the ball up in the air and hit it down the road with his hurley. And then he would throw the hurley after it and the javelin after that. And then he would run down the road as fast as he could and he would catch the ball, catch the hurley, and catch the javelin before any of them hit the ground. He sees about 150 of the boys' troop playing a game of hurling. Without hesitation, Satanta jumps into the middle of it, caught up the ball, and kept it between his ankle and his knee. Nobody could take the ball off him, and he scored a goal. The boys are not pleased with this stranger who had come in unannounced and spoiled their game, so all at once they attack him. The fight went raging up and down the pitch, and the shouts were heard from one end of Emenmaka to the other. Konkabar Maknasa was playing chess with Fergus McGrow, and they heard this terrible noise, and they said to one another, the boy's troop have caught hold of some misfortune, and they are killing him. So the two of them rushed down to the playing field to find Satanta holding his own against the whole boy's troop. McNessa called a halt to the proceedings and managed to calm everyone down. He recognized Satanta, and he reprimanded him. Do you not know the proper protocol must be followed with the boys' troop? He said, you must introduce yourself and ask them to take you under their protection. That way, they'll be honor-bound not to attack you. For they'll will, within their right, to attack any stranger that comes to Emenmaka who does not follow this protocol. Satanta said he hadn't known, and he asked them properly, would they take him under their protection? And the boys and the troops said yes, and all seemed to be fine. But then Satanta took up his hurley and started lashing the other boys with it as hard as he could and laying them out on the grass. And Magnessa was shocked and cried out to him, stop at once. Satanta said, well, I had to ask for their protection, but I think they are the ones who need protection from me. So the boys' troop, all three times 50 of them, had to line up, and one by one they stood in front of Satanta, their names, and asked him to take them under his protection. And he said yes, and that was how Satanta became the youngest member of the boys' troop of Emenmaka. McNessa soon realized he needed to handle Satanta as much more than just a boy he appeared to be. And I mean a young boy. He's got to be, he's less than six years old. A smith named Kulin invited McNessa to a feast at his house. 
Kulin was a great smith and a skilled craftsman who lived some way outside of Emmenmaka. McNessa invited Satanta to join him, but Satanta was playing a game of hurling and wanted to finish the game. He told Satanta to join him later. When all the guests arrived, Kulin told them, Put down your arms, men. Relax. My hound would not let anybody enter this property alive. He, had, he could kill an entire gang. So the men did so, and they were enjoying a feast and fermented beverages when they heard a great commotion outside. McNessa remembered he told Satanta to join them, and he had forgotten, and then the commotion went silent. The men grabbed their weapon. They burst through the door to find Satanta had killed the hound, and Kulin was distraught at how he was going to protect his property without his hound. Satanta told him he would be his hound till he could train another hound, and that is how Satanta's name became the Hound of Kulin, Kukulin. Kukulin has a unique appearance. His hair has three colors, brown, blonde, and bright red. Each of his cheeks has four dimples, which are blue, red, yellow, and green. He has seven toes on each foot and seven fingers on each hand, and seven pupils in each of his eyes, despite or even because of this particular appearance, Kukulin is considered handsome, and women are greatly attracted to him. Finally, Kukulin is known to transform himself into a tower of raging fury just before a battle. During this fury, his body is warped with parts shifting about his crown, spurts, columns of blood, and great light. The lone lath shines from his forehead. One day at Evanmaka, Kukulin overhears Kahbad teaching his pupils. One asks him what the day is auspicious for, and Kahbad replies that any warrior who takes arms that day will have everlasting fame. Kukulin, though only seven years old, goes to Konkabar and asks for arms. None of the weapons given to him withstand his strength, though, until Konkabar gives him his own weapons. But when Kabad sees this, he grieves because he had not finished his prophecy. The warrior who took arms that day would be famous, but his life would be short. Soon afterwards, in response to a similar prophecy by Kahbat, Kukulin demands a chariot from Konkabar, and only the king's own chariot withstands him. He sets off on a foray and kills the three sons of Nectin Shan, who had boasted they had killed more Ulster men than there were Ulster men living. He returns to Emenmaka in, in his battle frenzy. The Ulster men are afraid he will slaughter them all. Konkabar's wife, Mugen, leads out women of Amman, and they are bare-breasted to him. He averts his eyes, and the Ulster men wrestle him to the barrel of cold water, which explodes from the heat of his body. They put him in a second barrel, which boils, and a third, which warms to a pleasant temperature. Kukulin is so beautiful that the Ulster men become worried that, without a wife of his own, he will steal their wives and ruin their daughters. 
They search all over Ireland for a suitable wife for him, but he will have none but a mer, daughter of Forgal Monarch, but Forgal Skaha, in the land of Alba, Scotland, hoping the ordeal will be too much for him and he'll be killed. Cuculin takes up at the challenge, and in the meantime, Forgal offers Ymir to Lug Mac Nois, the king of Munster. But when he hears that Ymir loves Cuculin, he refuses her hand. Two of the greatest Red Branch warriors are said to go with him to keep him company on his journey. Scotra lived across the sea and on the other side of Alba, Scotland, far to the north, on an island that bore her own name. The three set out on their long journey, but no sooner had their boat landed on the shore of Alba and they had stopped for a while at the forge of Donal, the smith, then Forgal and Willie sent a vision of Emanach. His associates were so overcome by homesickness when they saw the image of their home, they couldn't bear to go on and they turned back to Ireland. And there and then, leaving Cuculin alone in the wilderness, as Forgal had planned. Well, Cuculin was saddened by the loss of his fellows, but he was resolved to carry on with his journey, for he sworn an oath to see it through to the end, even if it was his own end. But now he had no idea of the path he must take, facing an untracked land filled with peril. He was greatly alarmed to see a powerful beast like a giant lion coming towards him, but it didn't attack. Instead, it blocked his road, whichever direction he took. Seeing then that it meant him no harm, he sprang on its back and let it carry him where it wanted. For four days they traveled until they reached the end of the realm of men, and they saw an island with four young boys playing in the lake around it. The lads started to laugh and jeer when they saw him riding the beast, and Cuculin burned him with shame, so he jumped off and told the beast to be on its way. He came before too long to a narrow valley, beyond which were the plains of misfortune, and there he met a young fellow named Eok. They spoke for a while, and Eok told him of the dangers ahead. On the near side of the plain, the feet of men would stick fast, and on the far side, every blade of grass would rise and hold them fast on its point. Yuck gave him a wheel and told him to follow its track across the first half of the plain and an apple. This he told Cuculin to throw to the rest of the way and follow it as it bounced until it got through. Cuculin did as he was told and found himself in a canyon full of fierce monsters sent by Forgal to eat him. But he stuck to the narrow path and got by them too. At last he arrived at the place where Skaha lived and saw the people had heard of his approach for a large crowd had gathered before the bridge to her island. They had with them jugs of wine, fresh bread, with fish sauce for dipping, pipes, drums, brightly colored scarfs, and a festival of air was about, for it was great entertainment among them, watching young heroes trying to get across that bridge. Because the bridge was enchanted, you see, 
and could shrink itself down to the width of a sapling or flex and buck like a wild horse, dipping into the ocean to become wet and slippery. And a great far drop to a jagged rock below it was too. Not deterred, Cuculin took a run at the bridge and was thrown off when it arched its back like an angry cat. A second time he approached more carefully now, and again was deposited on his rear end to the great amusement of the crowds. They were laughing, they were having a... Cuculin became filled with rage, and the hero light shone above him, and he was gripped with this warp spasm. With his famous salmon leap, he jumped to the middle of the bridge when it was bent to its greatest height, and before it could recover from its surprise, he leapt to the other side. Well, the crowd fell silent, I can tell you that, and none were more surprised than Skaha herself, as he had just proven himself. He was taken into her home, where he learned to master and practice and practice and master the warrior art she could teach him. And after a year and a day, none could best him in their best practices. All that time, a warrior queen called Afi had started a feud with Skahar, and both of these fearsome women had raised an army to go out and fight. Skahar didn't mention this to Kukulin, for the handsome youth had become dear to her. So she could, she gave him some sleeping pill, some sleeping magic to make him slumber through the battle as she believed Afi was too much of a, of, too much for any man. Although the potion would have conquered the senses of anyone else, Kukulin lay asleep for but an hour before stirring. Looking about himself in wonder, he found the place to be deserted and going forth, he found a war about to begin. The two sons of Skahar had gone up the path of feats to fight the three champions of Aifa, and great was the fear of Skahar for her children. Seeing this, Kukulin leapt over their heads and dueled with all three champions by himself, defeating them all until a pile of heads laid at his feet. With a cry of fury, Aifa challenged Skahar to a fight with herself as champion, but Kukulin went out in place of Skahar. Before he picked up his sword, he asked Skahar, what did Afi prize most in the world? And she was told that Afi loved nothing more than her horses and her chariot. So Kukulin was getting the worst of it, for Afi wasn't just wise in the way of war, but also magic and an enchantment, and his spear was shattered. With his sword broken off at the hilt, he cried out, Is that your chariot and horse going off the cliff? And when Afi turned to look, he grabbed her and held her over his shoulders. While he carried her like a sack of potatoes down to the camp of Skahar below and laid her at the ground and held a sword to her breast and she begged for her life, Kukulin gave it to her. And after that, she made peace with Skahar and bound herself by oath not to go against her again, giving her love to Kukulin, although great sadness was to come of that union in the future. From Afi, he received the gay Bolga, that terrible spear made by Bolg's son Buin 
from the iron-hard bones of Cochern, the sea monster, that had been slain on the strand by another beast, the Currid. The many-thorned weapon had to be cast from the fork of the toes, but when it entered the body of the foe, it would split it into thirty barbs, coursing through the, the highways and byways of the body, so that every single joint filled with a sharpened spike and the body had to be cut open to dig it out. Before he left to return to Ulster, Ify told him she was with child, a little boy, to the great joy of Cuculin. He said to call the lad Conla and bring him to him, bring him up to be a great warrior as his father, giving her a red gold ring for his thumb. When his son was able to wear it without it slipping off, he was to travel to Ireland to find his father. Skahar called Cuculain to her speckled house and spoke to him of the visions she saw of bloody events to come, of plucking ravens and weeping women. But through his sorrow, Cuculain felt joy, for his name would never die so long as the world turned. As Cuculain was going home by a narrow path, he met an old hag, blind in one eye. She asked him to make room for her to pass, but he said there was no room unless he would throw himself down the yawning ocean cliff that was on one side of it. But she asked him again to make way for her, and he would not refuse, so he dropped over the edge with only his one hand keeping a hold of the path. As she walked past him, she suddenly stamped her foot on his hand. But at that, he swung up again on the path and struck off the hag's head. For she was Eshekin, the mother of Aphis' champion slain by him, and it was to destroy him she had come out to meet him. And so Cuculain returned to Ireland, a finer warrior than he had ever been, and despite Forgal and Willie's tricks, the very first thing he did was go and find Emer and make her his wife. The marriage had its ups and downs because of Cuculain's many affairs, notably with the fairy fawn and the wife of Mana Maclear, the sea god ruler of the other world. Who, Thanks to the magic cloak of forgetfulness, though, all is forgiven and forgotten. Eight years later, Cunla, his son, appears off the coast of Ireland one day, rowing a bronze boat with a golden oar. Kunla defeats two champions in combat, and so Cuculain was called upon to fight this stranger who f- refused to give his name. The fight was tremendous. It was quite the tussle. But Cuculain finally got the upper hand as they waded into the sea, and he speared the stranger with it, the gay bulga. It was then, as the dying youth revealed, that his teacher in weaponry was Skahar, and the victor realized. Cuculain, that he had just killed his own son. Of course, an epic warrior such as Cuculain wouldn't go down without a fight. His end came when the sons and daughters of a man named Catlin came to avenge the death of their slain father. The three sons and three daughters of Catlin came from Iman, Mach, and using their magic, they brewed up the sound of war that would make Cuculain come running. After meeting on the road, Cuculain was mortally wounded by three of his own spears. 
Refusing to die lying down, he crawled to a nearby stone and bound himself to it. In this way, he would die standing up with his sword in hand, like the warrior he was. Such was the fear of him, it took three days before anybody would even approach the body. After these days, the Morrigan, the goddess of birth and death, took the form of a raven and perched on his shoulder. This act signaled the end of Kukulin's life. Two more stories coming up about Kukulin, the Battle of Cooley, and the fight with his friend, foster brother, and possibly lover, Ferdida, are coming up in the next episode. The stone that Kukulin attached himself to to die is a national monument in the county Luth in Ireland. The stone, Cluck on Fairmore, stone of a great man, in English, Cluck of Farmore, I'll put a picture of it on the Clan Nagel Facebook page when I post this episode so you can see it for yourself. Before we go, I'd like to give a shout out to the Irish Rose Gift Shop in Milford, Delaware. They have a website. They have a lot of great stuff. Check them out. Go Ramahaga. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Incomparable History of Ireland. Please leave a review so that I can get better and better at providing these for you. And also, you can visit my Facebook page, Clan Miguel, Delaware. The next episode is going to come, get back into Irish mythology, and we're going to go into the second book, and we're going to learn about some incredible heroes. See you then. Lana Give. Goodbye, everyone. Godi on Haid or Ella. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>